Welcome back, my friends. It's always good to be back with you. Today, as we continue our study of what it means to be a Christian, taken straight from the book of Ephesians, verse by verse, uh, we will start today in chapter 2, verse 11. And uh, I pray that you have had a good week. And since our last time that you have gone over some of the truths that we've talked about, it is so exciting uh, to know our position in Jesus Christ, especially in the times, brethren, in which we live. You know, when we have been going through this wonderful epistle, we've been seeing our riches in Christ. I just want to start off with a list that I've compiled of some of the gems and the riches that Paul talks about, not only in this epistle, but in all his epistles. And we will probably go through this list another time, maybe two. I hope that you will remember them, that you will be blessed through them. And I just want to go through a few of them for you so we can just get excited that the Lord refresh our mind with these things and that I hope that you've asked the Lord to open up your mind in these studies as we come to the Word of God. You know that it is a precedent that every time we come to the Word of God, uh, believing and expecting to hear from our wonderful Lord, He will speak to us through His Word. Let me tell you, let me uh, just list off some of these things. And again, we will go through them as uh, in the weeks ahead. Just listen to some of these things. I am blessed with every spiritual blessing. I'm chosen in him before the foundation of the world. I'm predestined to adoption as a son in him. I've been accepted in the beloved I'm redeemed through his blood. I have an inheritance. I have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. And this sealing is my guarantee of my inheritance. I have his power toward me as a believer. I have been raised with Christ in the heavenlies. I have been saved by grace. And listen to this, brethren. I have access through Christ to the Father. These are just some truths that as we ponder on and we think about, they're according to the Word of God. They're not something that we conjure up to make us feel good or whatever. These are promises that God has given us Himself and all because of our relationship with Christ. So today, as we start in the second chapter in the 11th verse, I pray that uh, that these truths would, would become a part of your thinking, a part of your meditation. You know, that's what meditation is, brethren. Biblical meditation is coming to the Word of God and feeding upon it, letting letting your mind and your heart digest it and sink into you. Remember, we want to get into the Word of God so that the Word of God may get into us. That's biblical meditation. So let's ask the Lord to open our minds. Father, I thank you, Lord, for uh, getting us together again today. I thank you for the riches that we have in Jesus Christ, that we're saved by grace through faith, and that not ourselves. It's the gift of God, so that no one can boast. And Lord, I pray today as as we look into the scripture again, that you would open the eyes of our understanding, that we would see the love of God in Jesus Christ. And Father, I ask these things for the name and for the sake of our precious Lord. Amen. 
Ephesians chapter 2, starting verse 11. Remember, we left off in that wonderful verses uh, 8, 9, and 10 that were saved by grace. Grace is, remember, God had mercy upon us. You know, he says in Lamentations that by through his mercies we're not consumed. So God had mercy upon us, which opened the door of his grace, and he lavished his riches, God's riches in Jesus Christ upon us. So by grace we've been saved through faith, and that not of ourselves. It's the gift of God. God gives us a gift that we cannot earn, we could never hope to obtain upon ourselves, but God gave it to us as a gift. And by receiving that, we have eternal life. And it's not a works, verse 9. Let's see anyone should boast. There's going to be no boasting in heaven like we've talked about several times. And then we go in the correct uh, Christian life, the correct pattern of the Christian life in verse 10. For we're created. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. That we should walk in. That's part of predestination. Brethren, remember that we've been saved. Back in verse or chapter 1, verse 5, have been predestined us to adoption as son by Jesus Christ according to the pleasure of his will. He marked out beforehand. That's what predestination means. Marks out beforehand of not only our life, but our, our road. Jesus said there are two roads. You know, the narrow road that leads to life, and the broad road that leads to destruction, and many of those will find it. When we come to Christ, and we believe in Him, and we are saved, we are on that narrow road, and God has created uh, good works for us to follow in Christ Jesus. He's prepared that beforehand. He's laid down the life of glorious riches in Christ. He has laid down, brethren, not only what we're going to see here today, but that list that we've talked about uh, just a few minutes ago of the wonderful riches we have in Christ. Remember, as a starting point to our understanding in the first three chapters of this, remember verse 3 of chapter 1, I've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So today, let me just read down a few verses. We're going we're gonna to cap today's study with we're going to see how verses 11 through 13 we've been brought near by the blood of Christ we're going to see in verses 14 through 18 how Christ himself is our peace not only our peace with God but our peace of God and the peace that that wall has been broken down and we'll get into that and then we'll see in the last part of our study today brethren verses 19 through 22 about how Christ is our cornerstone. He is the one. Paul said the same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter or 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 11 where there's no other foundation that can be laid that has already been laid and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. We have a solid foundation. Um, our standing in the heavenlies is not because of our weak Frailty it is because of the solid foundation, the solid rock we have in Jesus Christ. Today, there is so much uncertainty, as we've talked about so many times in, in our True Pastoring series, um, which I hope you've listened to, and so many times before, that the solid foundation of Jesus Christ is what is sorely needed, that understanding today, 
uh, with Christians, that we would be solid people, full of assurance, full of, full of the power of the Lord, full of, of the assurance that no matter what happens or what circumstance happens, God is in complete control. You know, I'll never, uh, let me get off here and just to, to speak about my mind a little bit. I think often when Jesus was standing before Pilate, and he had, he had, you know, Pilate had wondered what truth was and so forth. But he looked at Jesus when, when Jesus was not answering him. And he said, do you not know that I have the power to release you or I have the power to crucify you? Listen to what our Lord said. This is, this is amazing. He looked straight at Pilate and he said, you would have no power over me at all unless it would have been granted to you from above. You know, we are commissioned uh, to turn our souls over to a faithful creator, to rest in him, to know our position in him, knowing that circumstances do not dictate our life. Our life is dictated by the Lord himself. People thought that Jesus they came to conquer and, and came to be their coming king, and they never realized that the valley between the first coming and the, the, the glorious uh, manifestation of him as king of Israel. So when he went up to be crucified, many, many disdained him as weak and no good. But you know what? Even in the weakness, he submitted to his father. Remember telling Pilate, you would have no power over me at all. And yet... When Christ comes back, he will come back as a conquering king and that wonderful king of kings and lord of lords. And guess who will be with him, brethren? Revelation chapter nine, chapter 19, excuse me, starting at verse 11 and down. We, you and I, the body of Christ, his church will be coming back with him in great power and glory, watching our Lord manifest uh, himself to the world in judgment. Um, and we see that in Psalm 2, dashing them to pieces, um, ruling with a rod of iron and so forth. So our position in Christ uh, is everything. Once we understand that, uh, we, have a, we have a strong, strong foothold uh, as we wait our coming Lord. I also want to say this one thing, brethren, if you allow me the extra time. You know, as we read these precious truths in Ephesians, and we remember, okay, our being forgiven, our, you know, if you go back to chapter 1, for example, verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Now, I'm reminded um, of a story that I love and I've told often through my ministry and it is, a, it is a fascinating look at the grace of God. It's a fascinating look at somebody that realizes that they are a sinner and that they come to Christ and give all. It's the story, and if you remember, it's in Luke chapter 7. And it's in verses 36 through 48. I'll just basically uh, go over it real quick. But it's one of my favorite stories of about how the Lord treats us. And I hope you will remember this. Again, it's in Luke chapter 7, and uh, starting about verse 36, some Pharisees had asked Jesus, basically, to come and eat, have lunch with him one day. 
And so he went in it, and his custom was, he sat down to eat. And then there was a woman uh, in this city. The Bible says she was a sinner. But as we, we look about these type of women, she probably was a prostitute. She was disdained in that, in, in that especially with, in, within religious uh, circles. And she came in with a, a, a flask, if you will, of oil. And she came in in the midst of all this, stood at his feet, and she kept weeping. And washed her the Lord's feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair continually. And one of the Pharisees, who was probably the one who invited Jesus, he spoke to himself. He said, you know what? If this man was really a prophet, he would know who this woman was. And I love the Lord. Instead of chiding him right there, Jesus turned and he said, Simon, the name of the Pharisee says, I have something to say to you. And Simon says, teacher, say it. I'm sure he was all proud that the Lord singled him out. And he went on to say, to tell him about a parable. There was two debtors um, that owed this creditor money. One of them was 500 denarii, which isn't much. And the other 50, which is not much at all. It would be equated today as millions. One owed millions, the other owed thousands, you know. And he told the Pharisees, he said, you know, and the creditor forgave them both freely. And he said, Simon, he said, you know what? Which one do you think? Uh, you know, he forgave more. And Simon said, Lord, probably the one who, who the three million was forgiven. And he said, you know what? He said, you've answered rightly. He said, I came into your house. And I, you gave me no water for my feet, which was custom for the day because of the dusty trails. This woman, whom you seem to want to chide, has done nothing but wash my feet with her tears and dry them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, that was, was customary greeting, but she has not stopped to kiss my feet. I want to tell you something. This woman walked away justified because Jesus said, Who is cognizant of much to be forgiven is the one who loves much. When we see the depth of sin that we've been forgiven, and we understand that, that we, we turn around and we love the one from the heart, the one who has forgiven us so much. And I hope you remember that because that's how God graciously forgives us. We have a debt of sin we could not pay. The first three chapters of Romans uh, makes that perfectly clean. We're all guilty before God. We are all sinners. And yet, we have you and I have been forgiven of all of our sin. And not only that, but we have an inheritance. We have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We've been raised in a position with Christ. We have so much to look forward to. And as we begin today, in chapter 2, verse 11, I want us to see the fact that here we had the covenant Jews. By the way, it was no mystery that the Gentiles would be saved. The Gentiles are non-Jews. And as we see that, that Christ came to break down all the dividing wall between uh the covenant that God had with the Jews in the Old Testament to the opening up of 
salvation to everybody, the ends of the earth through Jesus Christ. Let's get into this and let's make this a little bit real plain. This, I love this area in the in Ephesians right here. Because we not only see who is blessed with all these spiritual blessings, who has been raised up together with Christ in the heavenlies. And when we start to understand that the word of God is woven together throughout, there's not one section that you can take apart from the other. Let's read a few verses. Chapter 2, verse 11. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands. That at that time, verse 12, you were without Christ, being aliens from commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once far off have been brought near by the blood of of Christ. Now let's look at 11, 12, and 13, those three verses. It says, Therefore, verse 11, remember that you were once Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by what is called circumcision made in the flesh by hands. Now what this simply means is God has given a sign to the Jews uh, of circumcision. What circumcision was, was it was done in the flesh It was a sign of separation to God. That they were the covenant people, uh, they were the household of God, they were they were they were specifically God's chosen people, and circumcision was a mark demonstrating that. And yet that carried a great responsibility. We see that all through the Old Testament. Now be when we understand what circumcision is to the Christian now, we've also become circumcised. But our circumcision has been done by Christ. In, the, in Colossians chapter 2, Paul says, verse 13, he says, You being dead in your trespasses in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together, having forgiven you all trespasses. We've been, the Bible says that in him we were circumcised with circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Christ identified us, made us his own by his own death on the cross and by his death on the cross and us receiving that as our sin bearer and new life, we are circumcised without with the circumcision done by Christ himself. So in other words, brethren, what was what was a, a outward sign of a Jew in the Old Testament, now we have that same sign of absolute belonging to Jesus Christ, and in him we are a child of God. Let's read on. Look at verse 12. At that time you were without Christ. What time? at the time before Christ, at the time before he made you his own. Again, at that time you were without Christ, being alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Now, before we talk about this verse, 
Let me expound on this last part of the verse. Having no hope and without God in the world. That's basically a description of being lost. You know, Jesus, I want to go over our verse again in John chapter 5, verse 24. Remember? And I hope you've all learned it by now because it's a wonderful verse uh, of what it means to be born again. Jesus said himself, Most surely I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. So going back to our verse in Ephesians 2.12, we had no hope. We were without God in the world. We were lost. But verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Brought near by the blood of Christ. If you look at the, at the writer to the Hebrews, which again I think is the Apostle Paul, but that's just my opinion. And in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, it tells you this is therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. So back in our verse uh, in chapter 2 of Ephesians, when Paul says in verse 13, that being brought near by the blood of Jesus, we have brought to, been brought to the very presence of God as a child of God because of the blood of Jesus Christ. So instead of being the circumcised Jew and, and going through the, the ceremonial law and bringing a lamb and, and going to the temple and the priest and the, and the blood was shed and, and the, our sins, you know, their sins were covered because they were a good circumcised covenanted Jew, now we as Gentiles come in and we believe in the ultimate sacrifice of Christ on our behalf. We're forgiven by shed blood. We, we, he receives us as his own. Now we are a child of God and we have all the common wealth, not only of Israel, but so much more. Remember, Israel is distinct from the church. God's earthly people, Israel, will have a part in his regime in the millennium, in the millennial kingdom. But now the Gentiles, that was why it was so difficult for the early church, some of the, uh, the Jews, some of the Pharisees, to, to understand that a Gentile, a non-Jew, could be a part of the body of Christ. Remember that um, in Acts chapter 10, before Cornelius, uh, God had called Peter to go down to, uh, to uh, the tanner, Simon the tanner, and he was staying there for a while, and Peter was up on the roof at the time of prayer, and he got into a trance, and God lowered a sheet, remember, and had all kinds of, of, of animals on it. And Peter said, no way, I've never eaten anything unclean. And God did that three times and, and told Peter, he says, do not call unclean what I have called clean. And he took that, that trance and that experience with him as he walked to Cornelius' house, who was a Gentile, and told him of the, the sacrifice of Christ and the gospel. And Cornelius and his household believed, and the Holy Spirit came down and sealed them, just like he seals us. And they became, the Gentiles became part of the body of Christ. And that will become more clear as we go on. So, in verse 14, for he himself is our peace who has made the both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. 
Verse 15, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments, contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. Now, some commentators believe that uh, this new man means uh, not the individual, but the church. I happen to believe it's the individual, but I also have in the broader picture, it is the church, because the church is now comprised of believing Jews and believing Gentiles. When people say, well, wait a minute, I thought that the, the Jews were, or Israel was comprised of the Jews, and they were separate from the church. They are. Let's make that distinction now, brethren. That is good biblical theology. God has the church now that he is building. Remember Jesus said, I will build my church. And when the church age is completed, Jesus will come back in the rapture, the catching away of his saints, receive his church unto himself, take them back to the Father's house, and then, as we see in Acts chapter 15, we don't have time to go back to but read that, Acts chapter 15, the council in Jerusalem, he quotes from Amos, and we see that James is saying that uh, as the church age closes, God turns his attention back to Israel. Now, Israel will be saved. We see in Zechariah chapter 12 and elsewhere, when when they're in the tribulation period and they're surrounded by their enemies and Christ comes back in the second coming with his church, they will cry out for their Messiah. They will see the Lord Jesus Christ and accept him as their Messiah. They will be cleansed by his sacrifice, their ultimate sacrifice, that all of their uh, animal sacrifices nearing through the, the centuries have predicted and have led up to. They will accept him as the Messiah and a sacrifice for them, and they will be brought in, not as the church, but as his earthly people, the earthly people of God. They will be brought into the millennium, and they will execute the theratic kingdom to the 12 tribes and to the nations. While the church is the heavenly bride of Christ, they will be reigning and ruling with Jesus uh, in the heavenlies and all that entails. So, as we see now, both the Jew and the Gentile, you know, it's most Orthodox Jews in Israel now are still waiting for their Messiah. They reject Jesus, uh, some of them very vehemently. Uh, But we see here that in verse 14, He, Christ, is our peace. He's made both, the Jew and the Gentile, one. He's broken down the middle wall of separation, you know, just like I believe that he did exactly when, when Peter went to Cornelius as a Gentile in his household, heard the word of God, believed it, the Holy Spirit uh, came down and filled them just like he does with us when we receive and believe the gospel and receive Christ as our own and our Savior. And the church, they were they entered into the church. But look at verse 15 again, having abolished in his flesh the enmity. What is the enmity? It's the law of commandments. It was everything that was against us. It was the ordinance that were against us. And were against us both, Jew and Gentile. So that he created himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. Look at verse 16. That he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. 
You know, and before I get too involved in, in this, let me, let me say something that, um, you know, the Old Testament, there's a lot uh, that is, is dealing with the Jews, primarily Jewish up until really the cross. The Jewish coloring is there. It is all about the promises, and it's all about the, uh, the Jew and, and, and how God chose the Jew out of a small clan. In fact, he says in, in Isaiah 43, 44, 45, and 46, how the Jews are his witness. They are the ones that witness to the one true God. And Jesus, their Messiah, was prophesied so many times. He fulfilled so many prophecies when he came the first time. But let me let me tell you something. Again, like I said before, brethren, I hope we don't go too fast on this. But the saving of the Jews was really no, or the Gentiles, excuse me, was no mystery. Listen to what Isaiah wrote. He said, I, the Lord, I have called you in righteousness. I will hold your hand. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles, speaking about Christ. And remember, uh, we can go over uh, and see the same thing, this wonderful thing in Luke chapter 2, where he says that I... uh, He says, which you have prepared for the people, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Here's where we see the wonderful connection between Israel and the Gentiles, between the Jews and the Gentiles. By the way, that was Luke chapter 2, verse 32. A light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory to your people, Israel. You know, I, I probably should take this time to to just talk about Israel and why they are such a witness to the one true God. Israel has been dispersed over all the areas of the of the globe. We see that in um, Deuteronomy chapter twenty eight and elsewhere. Now, that was no surprise. So God was going to scatter them because of their unbelief and their idolatry. But it is also no surprise that in the end days, I would, time would fail me to go through Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Zechariah, that God promised to bring the Jews back to their land forever to establish them. Uh, in unbelief, by the way. And we see in Zechariah chapter 12 that when Christ comes back, it's going to take him coming back in, in glory as the Jews, as Israel is being rifled, being ransacked, being surrounded by their enemies, then they will turn to the Messiah and believe and receive him. And God has done that. We see the Jew coming back to his land. We see the promise to Abraham back in Genesis 12, Genesis 15, Genesis 17. We look at at Genesis 22 with a perfect picture of Abraham sacrificing Isaac. What a picture of the father going with the son to the place of execution. We see all this happening. So is Israel and the church separate? Yes. And that will be so today. But what about the Jew that comes to Christ when the church age is still here? He is saved by the same way that the Gentile is saved. When they believe in Jesus Christ as their Messiah, their sin bearer, 
the one who died to take away their sin and they received the gift of eternal life and the forgiveness of sins in him, they're both saved by the shed blood of Christ and they become the body of Christ. It is a mystery that we see that Paul expounded uh, in Romans chapter 11, remember? About Israel as being the wild, the olive tree. And that the branches to the natural olive tree and Israel being the natural branches were cut off for a time. That the Gentiles, the unnatural branches, if you will, were grafted into the olive tree by God. If the unnatural branches could be grafted in, how much more in God's heart is he willing and cannot wait until he grafts back in the natural branches into the olive tree? So it's a beautiful illustration of how faithful God is. And I hope that kind of brings these passages alive, brethren. You know, verse 16 again, that he might reconcile them both to God in one body, both Jew and Gentile, one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. You know, to gain security as well, brethren, security. Do I know I'm? How do I know I'm saved? How do I know that that I am saved? How do I know? Not only does the Bible tell me so, but I am saved because of of the eternal effectiveness of the sacrifice of Christ. But I want to go one step in another direction. We know because of the faithfulness God is to the Jews, to His nation of Israel. God is faithful to Israel. There is so much false teaching today saying that the church has replaced Israel, that the promises that God has to Israel are no longer valid. Everything is the church now. The church is the new Israel. God has no Israel anymore. That, my brethren, is false. You must understand how false and how satanic that is. God has his church and God is dealing with his the nation of Israel even as we speak, but he will put he will turn toward the nation of Israel in complete uh, divestment, if you will, when the church age is taken out. We'll see that at Acts chapter 15. In fact, let me, let me just go there real quick. I, I did not uh, at first think about talking about this in such detail. But, you know, it is so important today because there is so much teaching out there called replacement theology that says that the church re- has replaced Israel. God has said so many hundreds of times in his word that Israel is, is his witness to how that he is the one true God. And the world will see the fact that God has not done with Israel and how he's doing exactly what he said he is, and they will be a witness that he is the one true God. But after the church right now is is taken away, remember John chapter 14 where Jesus first stated the wonderful uh, teaching and the wonderful truth about his coming back. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. 
And I go and prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, you may be also. Paul talks in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 through 18, how the Lord will descend from heaven with a shout, with a voice of the archangel, the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the clouds, and we will forever be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. John chapter 14, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beautifully illustrate this church age. And of where, where Jew and Gentile are both being saved to the blood of Christ. What about Israel? What about the land of Israel, the people that are flooding in in unbelief? Listen to what is said in the book of Acts. This is Acts chapter 15. Okay, And, and the speaker here quotes uh, the prophecy given in Amos. He says, after this, the church age, I will return and will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will set it up, so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles are called by my name. Do you get that? After this, I will return and will rebuild the tabernacle of David. That is a pivotal understanding of the times in which we live, how God is building his church Jew and Gentile alike are coming into his church by faith in Jesus Christ, being saved, remember, by grace through faith. And now he's describing how that's happening. And so the Bible really solves the mystery of how does the Jew and Gentile both become the body of Christ in this age, and what about the next age? What about when the church age is over and we have that seven-year period that Daniel talks about, the great tribulation and so forth, and we see in there by multiple passages that Israel is right in the middle. We see Armageddon, all the armies of the east gathered at the, at the, uh, the valley of Megiddo, coming toward Jerusalem, and we see how the Jerusalem is surrounded by armies, and they want to destroy it and get rid of, of, of this Jew population once and for all. Oh, wow, is everything done? Is the Bible wrong? How can, you know, many people at that time are going to think, see, the Bible is wrong. Because, the, you know, the Jews are done for. And then who comes? The Messiah, their Messiah, down from heaven in all his glory, with the body of Christ, with his church following him on white horses. Again, Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. And the whole world will know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Israel is the apple of God's eye. And as Israel is collected as the earthly people of God, Jesus, what does the Bible say about him? He will come and he will sit on the throne of his father, David, in the millennial kingdom. Absolutely wonderful. The Bible is very clear about what God is going to do. Boy, time is is getting away from me quickly. I so enjoy our time together. You know, it's it's a teaching. It's it's time that we we get in, and sometimes you're going, where is this guy going? What are we all talking about here? And yet everything comes together because that's the word of God. The word of God taken in in isolation 
it breeds confusion, and you think, wow, what is this talking about? But the Bible read as a whole, from Genesis to Revelation, never taking one part without it fitting in the whole of the Word of God, makes beautiful sense. Remember, we want to be Christians that carry the Word of God. I love one of my favorite. Let me read it to you real quick. I just love this passage. Uh, because this is what God does. This is one of the privileges we have. In fact, it's, it, let me just read it to you. You can mark it down if you want. It's a, it's a Psalm. It's the 60th Psalm, verse 4. And it simply says, You have given a banner to those who fear you that it might be displayed because of the truth. We have a banner, so to speak, that we shine out into the world, that the world may know that the truth is not only the Bible, but the truth is the Lord Jesus Christ. And that don't let the devil tempt you with anything to put your banner down and pick something else up, whether it would be pride or, or any kind of sin. You carry that banner around by knowing who you belong to. Not only knowing what to believe, but knowing why we believe it. Why is God dealing with the Jews? Why is that nation of Israel uh, surrounded like it is even now? You look at Psalm 83 and so forth. They are surrounded by enemies, just like the Word of God said it would be. And yet you watch, brethren, in the days to come. Israel is God's time clock, prophetic time clock of where we are during this age. So he says in verse 17, He says, and he came and preached peace to you who were far off and to those who were near. Peace to you, brethren, you and I who are far off. Remember (laughs) that we were lost. We were undone back in verse 12, having no hope about God in the world. He came and preached peace to you who were far off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one Spirit to the Father. We both have access by one Spirit to the Father. We've been sealed as his own. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. For through him we have access. I love the fact that back in verse 12, I told you I'd get back to this in just a little bit. So back in verse 12, remember how it says, At that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise? You know the covenant that we have, the new covenant, was originally given to Israel. We see that in uh Jeremiah chapter 33, I believe. We also see it really plainly stated in in Hebrews chapter 8. How God had promised to Israel um, that he would take away their sin, that he would give them a new heart, that he would implant his law within them, that he would write their mind and so forth. That new covenant states that we have been forgiven and freely justified in Christ Jesus. That covenant who was originally given to Israel, that covenant is ours. That covenant 
he has given uh, as a light to the Gentiles. Jesus Christ fulfilled that covenant by coming and dying on the cross for you and for I and, and taking our sins, past, present, and future, and heaping it upon himself and satisfying God's righteous justice on sin. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? So now we're back in, again, chapter verse 12. We're not aliens anymore. We're not strangers from, from this commonwealth. We're not strangers from this covenant. We've entered into this covenant. And as God is faithful to Israel to bring them back, God is faithful, utterly faithful to us. If God, my brethren, is not faithful to Israel, God will not be faithful to us. Did you get that? Please understand that. That is not saying something that is wrong. That is simply stating that God will keep his promises. Listen to this. He says in Jeremiah chapter 33, 14, verse 14, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will perform that good thing which I have promised to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. In those days and that time, I will cause to grow up to David a branch of righteousness, Christ. He will shall execute judgment righteous in the earth. In those days, Judah shall be saved. Jerusalem shall dwell safely. And this is the name by which shall, she shall be called the Lord our righteousness. Wow. I want to go over that covenant real quick that I was telling you about that we have entered into. God is going to give to Israel a covenant, which he has. And he says, this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. And after those days, says the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Listen to this faithfulness, brethren. This is in Jeremiah 31. Let me read verse 35. Thus says the Lord, this is God talking, who gives the sun for light by day and the ordinances of the moon and the stars for light by night, who disturbs the sea and its waves roar, the Lord of hosts is his name. If these ordinances depart from me, says the Lord, then the seed of Israel shall also cease from being a nation before me forever. Let me go on. He says, thus says the Lord, if heaven can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched out beneath, I will also cast off the seed of Israel for all that they have done, says the Lord. So he's saying, see the sun, See the ordinance of the stars. See the moon. See how the waves roar in the ocean. If these ordinances depart from me, and only if they depart from me, then Israel will cease from being a nation before me forever. They're not going to depart. That's how faithful God is to his people Israel. And we are grafted into that, brethren. We have become a part of that promise. We've become a part of that that faithful, loving hand of God who will no more give up his people Israel than abolish all of his ordinances. Can you imagine the sun not coming up? 
That's what we mean when we say we're no longer aliens from the Commonwealth of Israel. We're no longer strangers from the covenant promise. And we know all, we are no longer people who have no hope and, we're, and no longer people that do not have God in this world. Praise the Lord. God be glorified through his faithfulness, through his word. Wow. Verse 19. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers, it's like we said, and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Let me read to the end. We'll get back. Verse 21. In whom the whole building being fitted together grows in a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. A dwelling place of God. Can you imagine that? That's, we see in, in Revelation 22 how the new Jerusalem is coming down out of heaven, adorned as a bride for, with precious jewels, and God will be in the midst of, in, in the, midst of the people in this wonderful uh, New Jerusalem that are coming down. We are being built together uh, for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. I get excited about these things. Is this fantasy? No, this is the Word of God. This is right thinking, biblical thinking, meditation on the Word of God. How much does God love me? Well, not only do we look at the cross... But we also see how God has taken us into himself and made us a part of his household. He's building us up. He's adding to it. Wow, I am so excited about just the wonderfulness of God and how God puts everything together. You know, there are two passages I want to talk to real quick about this cornerstone. And I think... I think that we, we all know that maybe we can't rush right to them. But the first one I talk about, remember how, we, how Psalm 118 and how God is saying, this is the day that the Lord has made. He says, listen to this. The stone which the builders rejected, okay, they rejected Christ as first coming. They rejected him as God, not only in human flesh, but they rejected him as God's Messiah. They rejected him as, as the ultimate perfect sacrifice that all their sacrifices for centuries had pictured. So it says the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And this is mar, and this is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And I want to read you a text of that same nature in the New Testament. One who I've built my ministry on. The foundation of life was built on this text. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. He is the cornerstone. He is what we build our life on. He is what our security based on. He is the promises that we have. He is the one who gives us strength. He is the one who gives not only purpose in our life, strength in our life, position in the afterlife. You know, it has often been said that for an unbeliever, 
This is the best it's going to get. But for a believer in Jesus Christ, this is the worst it will be, brethren. Hold on, because what eyes have not seen, nor ear have heard, nor entered into the heart of man, the things that God has prepared for those that love him. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And this he's revealed it by the Spirit who he's given to us. We'll see when we get into chapter 4, not only another further aspect of the sealing of the Spirit of God. Well, brethren, that completes our chapter 2 of Ephesians. And I I just scratched the surface, but I, I just pray that you would share my joy in the Word of God. How rich it is. Everything that Christ has lavished upon us freely because of His grace. We truly have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We truly have been saved by grace through faith. I pray that in the days ahead, as we enter in these last of the last days, which I believe that we're in, that you would keep your eyes on Israel, that you would see how God is working in Israel. Keep your eyes opened to what's happening there. That will be a good indication of where we are in this day and age. Jesus said, I am coming back. He's coming soon, brethren. Nothing needs to be fulfilled for the Lord to come back and take his church. But he did, as he chided the Pharisees for not knowing the signs of the times of his first coming. I believe he wants us to be alive and not only full of joy. Jesus talks so much about joy, the joy of what we have, the joy of him himself. You know, heaven in all its glory and facets of description, heaven is going to be Christ. Heaven is God himself and and what he has created and what he has made. And we will rejoice because of the Lord Jesus Christ in the midst of us and worshiping him forever. Our great God and King is coming back, my friends, and he's coming back very soon. Don't let your circumstances get you down, but realize that he is the Lord of the circumstances. I pray that today, again, uh, you would just realize, along with me, that we have nothing to be ashamed of. We have nothing to be down about. We have nothing to be sorrowful about. We have everything in anticipation. Moment by moment, he could return and take us to where he is. And we will always be with the Lord. Brethren, with that, I will end and just say thank you again for sharing this time with me. I cannot wait for next time as we get into the third chapter. Remember, the first three chapters of this wonderful epistle are absolute riches in Jesus Christ. And the last three uh, are our walking in that position. Our walking in that position. Not our walk towards that position, but our walk in that position. That is power. And I hope that you will read the uh, chapter 3 and on and get and to get anticipation of what's coming ahead. Brethren, I love you. I thank you all for being here. And until next time, God bless you, brethren. Bye-bye.